Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Thank you so much that you have not left us in the dark, but that you've given us your word, that your word is a light to our feet, it's a light to our path. Lord, it's the way that we can know you, to know you clearly. As much as one can know you in this life, we can know you clearly, we can follow you rightly. Lord, it's the word that both convicts us and gives us hope in the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that this morning for us, that you would enliven your people, that you would give us fresh life and joy in you. And we pray for anybody that doesn't know you, whether they're online with us or whether they're here in person, anyone that doesn't know you, Lord, that, that this morning they would see the way to you and desire you above all else. We know that that's a work that only happens when the Holy Spirit makes a person alive to you. And we pray that you give that, that gift of new birth this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're at the end of a series on relationships called Reunited, and we're looking at what the Bible has to say about our relationships in friendship, fellowship in the church, work, parenting, marriage, all those kinds of areas. And this morning, I want to talk about your relationship to yourself. I'm going to talk about your relationship to you. The Bible speaks a lot about how we should relate to ourselves, how we should guide ourselves, how we should direct our own lives. And a lot of times, guys, once you admit that we deal with life pretty passively, you know, we just kind of bump along and do whatever seems right in the moment just to kind of survive. And the Bible tells us to direct ourselves, to, to show ourselves the way, to preach to ourselves, to encourage ourselves, to rebuke ourselves. Uh, a very popular Canadian psychologist in his book, 12 Rules for Life, one of his rules is this, treat yourself like you would someone that you're responsible for helping. So you should treat yourself as someone that you're responsible for helping. You should have that relationship with yourself. And this morning, we're going to look particularly at, are you guiding and directing and instructing and charging yourself to find fullness where fullness is actually found? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. As you saw from the reading in Colossians, we're, we're going to be there, Colossians 2 and 3. We're not going to do every single word in it. Don't worry. It's a long text. The ladies are actually going to start this Thursday. They're going to start in uh, Philemon. They're also going to do Colossians. So if, you, if you're excited about this book, that would be a great way for you to continue studying. And in this text, guys, uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, and he did it to uh, combat false teaching. And we don't know exactly who the false teachers were, and we don't know exactly what they taught because we're only getting one side of the conversation. But from Paul's side of the conversation, we can get some hints at what they were about. And one of the things that they were about is fullness. There's a word that keeps repeating in this book, fullness, pleroma, in the Greek. It's an idea of being complete or full. And it seems that what these false teachers were saying is that, yeah, the simple gospel is fine. You could believe that and you could be saved and everything. But if you want fullness of life, you need to follow us. If you want something deeper, you need to follow us. And guys, we're very vulnerable to that kind of message today, aren't we? There's a sense of emptiness we all feel, Christian or not, that we feel throughout the day. In certain portions of our life, we feel an emptiness and we will look for something to make us full again. And this can strike at a bunch of different places in life. It can strike teenagers really commonly. Um, it can strike people in their 20s that could have a quarter life crisis, right? It strikes with a vengeance around 40 in men, give or take a few years, and it's pretty much a set thing. I don't know why, but it happens. And there's this place that, where you start to go, is, there all, is this all there is? 
There's this sense of emptiness to life. And this is something, guys, that modern life has done. Is our culture has created a real meaninglessness, a real emptiness. There's no real meaning or fullness to get in what our culture offers us. It offers us things and experiences, but it doesn't offer us anything deep that will really fill us. How many of you guys have seen Wreck-It Ralph? How many of you that are middle-aged were wrecked by Wreck-It Ralph? Because Wreck-It Ralph is a great midlife movie, right? And the kids are like, oh, this is so funny. And the dads are like, <laughs> you know, especially in the beginning where he goes through his thing and he does his thing over and over again. And he comes to a point where he goes, is this all there is? This is all it's about? It's empty, right? And we all come to that place. And when we come to that place, either in a big moment or everyday little bits of emptiness, that's the time when we're susceptible to distractions and addictions, is when we feel that emptiness. We want something to fill it. And these false teachers were basically saying in chapter 2, he's responding to them, and we can tell that the false teachers were basically saying, you're going to find fullness in either your achievements or your experiences. It'll either be through achievements or experiences. And guys, this isn't just a religious thing, is it? Even in the secular world, even apart, if you're not a religious person, you've tried to fill that emptiness inside through achievement, your own achievement, or experiences. Let's look at that real quick. You can't find fullness, guys, in your own achievements. You can't find fullness in what you do to prove your own worth. It's really crazy, you know, if you don't have the gospel, you're basically born into a world that doesn't give you any sense of meaning, and that tells you in various different ways to prove you have a right to exist, how do you do that? How do you prove that you have a right to exist? How do you prove your own worth? How do you do it in such a way that you feel full and, and accomplished? Well, the religious version of that is in verse 16 of chapter 2. One of the religious versions that these false teachers were saying is, well, you're going to find fullness by keeping the Old Testament laws. You can see it says there, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in regards to food or drink or in regards to festival or new moon or Sabbath. And then he says, these are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So they were saying, yeah, you know that emptiness you feel? If you keep some of these Old Testament laws, you're going to feel a fullness from that. You're going to feel worthy from that if you could just keep these laws. And he says, those are fulfilled in Christ. And they also brought some laws that you could add to the Bible. You see that in verse 20. He says, if with Christ you die to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which were all referred to things that will perish when used according to human precepts and teachings. So there's this idea if you add a bunch of rules, and I don't know what kind of church background you guys grew up in. I didn't grow up in one at all, so I don't have this, you know, this thing haunting me. But some of you grew up in church backgrounds where lots of things were added. Lots of things were added to scripture. Um, lots of rules about what you drink and what you eat and what you wear and how you act and the books and the movies you watch and all kinds of added things. It's an attempt to kind of find some sort of fullness that I can know I'm a good Christian. I can know I'm a good person. I can feel worthy if I kept all these extra laws you added, right? And Paul says here, look at verse 23. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom and they always do in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severe treatment of the body, but they are no value to stop the indulgence of the flesh. I mean, I don't know if you guys had that experience growing up in churches like that, but there was a whole lot of the flesh still. <laughs> there was a whole lot of sin in that place, even coated over with all these extra rules. And so he's saying, you will not find fullness, church-going people, by keeping laws that Christ has already fulfilled in the Old Testament or either by adding them to your life. The fullness is not found there. But guys, there's a secular version of this too. 
This isn't just a religious thing. This is a secular version of trying to find fullness in the things that you achieve, finding your worth in the things you can do. And there's a great culture of this right now online, right? Just, just Google business motivational memes, okay? You know, get up early, kill it, you know, get up at 4.30, make it happen. You've got this, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna, your ambition is gonna get you through. There's tons of motivational things like that. And I think some people probably benefit from a little more motivation. But the message is that somehow you're going to accomplish something that's going to make you feel full and great and worthy. And anyone that's attained to the top of one of those mountains finds out there's nothing up there. There's nothing up there. And you could be trying to do that in school right now through your grades. You could be trying to do that right now through sports. You could be trying to do that through your career. Moms, you could be doing that through trying to have that perfect Instagrammable home and family and also running like a side business on the side where you're making your own products at home. And so you can just show like, I'm killing it. I'm making it happen. Look at me. There's no fullness in that. There's no fullness in that. Because how much is enough, guys? How would we know when enough is enough? Here's that famous quote, I think it was Rockefeller or whatever, you know, he was asked, you know, how much more money would be enough? And he's all, one more dollar. Well, a little bit more. I don't have enough yet. There's no end to it. And if we look at the people that have achieved the most, a lot of times we find out they're the most miserable. Why? Because they got to the top of the mountain, they saw there's nothing up there. That's despair. Despair is when you get to the top of the mountain, you've been working out all your life and find out there's no fullness there. And then what? You know, then the gospel is beautiful, Right? We've been looking in the wrong place if we're looking to our own achievements to fill our emptiness. Colossians 2.17 says that Christ has fulfilled the only standard that matters, God's law. He's fulfilled it in our place. The only standard you should be measuring yourself against, the standard of the law of God, the commands of God, he has fulfilled in your place. The other thing we can look to, powerful experiences. These false teachers told them, you know what you need? You need to have these kind of powerful religious experiences we've had. We need powerful spiritual emotional highs. That's what's going to really make you full, right? Take a look at it in verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. Now, apparently in this church, there were people that had adopted worship of angels. It was really common in the second temple time. There was a lot of worship of angels going on. And even in this time and for centuries on that it was very common, especially in Judaism, there was some mixing of worship of angels. Obviously, that's not biblical. But there was also some people were really going on in detail about visions they had. So they, they would go on in detail about their personal, you know, spiritual experiences. Now, visions are not necessarily unbiblical, right? I mean, I believe in all the, con the continuation of all the spiritual gifts. Um, I've experienced, I think, basically all of the spiritual gifts before. I had a great, a couple months ago, I had this amazing prophetic dream, which I'm not going to go on in detail about because of this verse, okay? <laughs> but guys, can we all agree that we cannot live on profound spiritual experiences? We can't rely on those to fill our tank all the time. Why? They're too rare, You'll starve. You'll starve if what you need is the next high. And we do this in a bunch of days. I mean, sometimes we'll do it, you know, with fog machines and lasers. Sometimes we'll do it with amazing music. We'll do it with all kinds of different things, camps, conferences. You know, there was a kid that, when I was in college ministry, he was, uh, he was in our college ministry, and he was like, oh, I want to go to the youth camp. And I'm like, well, the youth camp's for high school kids. And he's like, oh, but, you know, I really need that camp high. And I was like, whoa, you do really need that camp high. It was like his, 
his thing, you know? He needed another camp. He needed another experience, guys. And we can do that, but they're so rare. We can't live on it. And they also can create a kind of elitism, right? I've experienced this in the church, too, where people that are more gifted in some spiritual gifts will kind of have an elitism about them, and everybody will kind of feel like, oh, that's the real Christian. That's... And you see that in this text, guys. Look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you because of that. You know, one guy that said to me, like, you know, hey, you know, I can never trust a church leader that doesn't cast out demons. And I'm like, okay, interesting resume that I would need. But that's disqualifying people because they didn't have a certain spiritual experience. You guys have been around this, and you guys have measured yourself against other people and thought, you know, I'm kind of a Christian, but look at that person. He says, let no one disqualify you. He says a little bit later, don't be puffed up without reason by your sensuous mind. You know, there's a way these things can puff up. And Paul talks about that a lot in 1 in, uh, Corinthians. And they're also subjective, guys. You can have amazing spiritual experiences with gifts and things like that, but unless they're grounded in the word of God, they can lead you astray. They're subjective. They have to line up the word of God. Look at what he says here. He says, without reason by their sensuous minds, not holding fast to the head. Okay? That's a problem. We can lose all parts of our bodies. We cannot be headless and survive, right? Right? And what he's saying is he's saying that if you are always being driven by subjective spiritual experiences and you're not grounding your life in the word of God, you could be totally drifted from the Lord. You'd be having these amazing experiences, no connection to Jesus. Didn't hold fast the head. The way we hold fast the head is through the word, right? It connects us to Christ. And so, so while those kind of experiences can be great, if they're biblical, they are not something we can live on. But guys, there's a secular version of this too. And by the way, on those experiences, I love those experiences when they're biblical experiences. I think, I mean, they've fed me in some ways, but if I was relying on that every day, I would starve. Okay, that's all I want to say about that. But there's a secular version too, right? There's a secular version of like, oh, you feel empty? Maybe you need more experiences, you need powerful emotional experiences. It'd be things like, you know, for some people, it's travel, right? Right now, there must be suffering, but uh, it's travel. More and more travel is seen in our secular culture as a spiritual transformation thing. That if I go to exotic places, it makes me a fuller, better person. I don't know if you realize this, but, the, but travel's become that for somebody. It's like a secular pilgrimage that I've got all these places to go. And as long as I have somewhere to look forward to go to, as long as I can show that I've been to these places, then I'm going to be full. Or people look to major purchases, right? That could be an experience that's going to fill you up, you know, and it doesn't last very long, right? It doesn't last very long at all. It can be sexual relationships. It can be you know, new age practices. It can be drugs. It can be all kinds of things. But there are things where we go like, I'm empty. I need an experience. And so this emptiness, guys, that we have, that we experience in this world, it can't be filled with our own achievements, and it can't be filled with powerful experiences. So what's it going to be filled with? How do we get fullness? And that's what chapter 3 is about. That was a really long intro to chapter 3. That's what chapter 3 is about. Take a look at uh, Colossians 3.1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with you in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Where can we find fullness? He says we find fullness, verse 1, by seeking the things that are above. Okay, if you feel empty, and we all do many times throughout the day, 
We have this emptiness. Where do we get fullness? And we get it from seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You go like, okay, seek him. What does that look like practically? Look at verse two. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's how we do it practically. It's by setting our minds, right? It's by setting our minds on things that are above. That's where fullness is found. It's not going to be found through your own achievements. It's not going to be found through, you know, intense experiences. That sense of emptiness in your heart is not something you can fill on your own. But as we meditate on the word of God and as we set our minds on Christ, he fills us, right? And you guys have all experienced this. He fills us with joy and meaning and peace. And guys, that's our responsibility, That's a responsibility we have. That's a command, actually. It's a command to do something with your brain. Isn't that amazing? You have a command to do something with your mind that's going to change everything. That's how you treat yourself like someone you're responsible to care for. That's the advice you would give to anyone you cared for that was a believer. You would give them that advice. That's what you would tell them to do. Like, oh, yeah, you look miserable. Oh, yeah, you look like you're having a really hard time. Let me direct you here. What you need to do is say that to yourself. You say, self... (laughs) You need to set your mind on the things of God. We are in charge of caring for ourselves in that way. That's our relationship to ourselves. And it's not that it's only about the mind, but the mind is where it starts, okay? And I have a diagram for this, and we'll put it up on the screen too, I believe. There it is. Maybe we should just go with that. I don't know if I should draw if I don't have to, but... So, kids, if you guys could draw this tree diagram even though you don't fully know what we're doing here. If you would draw this, your parents are going to draw it too, and you can discuss it later today. So as much as you can get out of it, it's cool, but your parents are going to discuss it with you. So it's not all about the mind, but it starts there. So we have Christ and the things that are above, and we have, these are like roots of a tree, right? Little roots. And then this is your mind, okay? So this is your mind meditating on the things of God, that you would like every day take the roots of your mind and dig them down into the things of Christ, right? That you would dwell on those. You would suck the life out of the the very person of Christ by meditating on the scripture and dwelling on him, right? And then what happens with that when you do that is it affects your emotions, doesn't it? Emotions. Um, It affects your emotions. So as your mind is dwelling on the things of Christ, your heart is stirred, right? Your heart is stirred with enjoyment of him, and you're filled with more joy and and peace and meaning, right? It affects your emotions. You think, okay, well, what's the role of emotions? Maybe some of you guys are from a church background where emotions are completely untrustworthy, and they're completely irrelevant to your growth, right? Anybody come from that? Like emotions, best thing to do with them is throw them away somewhere, tuck them down deep, you know, don't get into the emotion thing. It's all about the mind. Well, emotions are actually a very important part, right, of our Christian growth. I mean, it says in the Psalms, serve the Lord with gladness. You're like, yeah, but I don't think that's the emotional kind of gladness. And I'm like, okay, I don't know any other kind. Or peace, yeah, but not an emotional peace. Okay, that's weird. Um, Emotions are important, but we don't let them drive, right? We don't let them drive the car, right? That Christ is driving the car through our minds to our emotions. So our emotions need to be informed by what we're seeing of Christ. And then what happens from there is our emotions over time, as we're stirred in the things of God and seeing these desirable and beautiful, it actually changes our will, changes our will. It changes our desires and our wants, right? And then that from there goes to our deeds, words and uh, actions, Okay. 
that our words and actions will arise out of our will, that our wants and our desires have changed. Needs to put a little fruit on there, right? Okay. That's the biblical way to get here, right? That our words and actions would be because our minds dwelling on the things of Christ, we're seeing the beauty and desirability of Christ. It changes our desires and our wants so that our will actually wants to do the things that God commands. I mean, God is not after our mere obedience. He wants our delight in him, right? And you could see a bunch of ways that you could go wrong here, right? If we stopped here, we call that intellectualism. This is the kind of thing that James talks against, right? That we would know the right things, but not desire them and not do them. That would be intellectualism. So if we, if we stop here, that's intellectualism. If we start here, that's emotionalism. And that's also um, experience junkie type Christianity, like I just described. It would start here. It'd be like, you know what you need? You just need somebody to yell a little louder and whip you up a little better. But that doesn't last, does it, guys? doesn't last because it doesn't have heart transformation. So we don't want intellectualism. That would stop here. We don't want emotionalism. That would start here. We want mind, emotions. And then if we just focus here on the deeds and the actions, well, that's externalism or legalism, right? And so what we want, what Christ wants from us is he wants deeds that are done because we actually wanted to do them because we love him and delight in the same things he delights in. And we get there by putting our mind on Christ. So... I think that's helpful. That's loosely based on Colossians 3. And I think it solves a lot of things in my mind. I think that if some of us in this room could admit that we stop here, some of us could admit that we don't really want to deal with down here. We want to always start here. And that's going to be real erratic. And then there's some of us just like, the most important thing is just do the right thing. Okay? But that's not what he's after either, right? He's after a transformed heart, and that's the way it happens. And so kids, parents, you guys can discuss that afterward, and uh, I think it'd be super helpful. I think it'd be super helpful in your parenting. It's going to be super helpful for yourself. One thing about the actions that I want to hit on real quick is if you look at Colossians 3.5 and 3.12, he talks about putting things to death and, and putting on things. And one of the things that we need to also focus on is we're thinking about how Christ transforms us into, into biblical words and actions is that he's calling us to not only put things off, but put things on. It's really important. When you look at Colossians 3, 5, he says, put to death, therefore, the things that are earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, so he's saying, put those to death, put those off like a garment, take those off. But then he says, put different things on. Colossians 3, 12, 13 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, patience, humility, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. It's really important when we're thinking about transformation that it's a put off and a put on. And that's important because, guys, Christ's likeness is not just about putting things off, right? It's about putting things on. Let me put it to you this way. People are not still captivated by Jesus 2,000 years later because of all the things he didn't do. Right? People are not captivated by Jesus 2,000 years later because of all the things he didn't do. They're captivated by Jesus by all the things he did do. So it's a huge part. It's important to put those things off. That list is not good. And Jesus didn't do those things. But it's more than that. We have to replace, right? We don't just remove a sin. We have to replace it. And that's super important when you're dealing with any particular sin pattern in your life, that if you're just only focusing on not doing something, 
That's not what God has called us to. We got to, when we take it off, we got to put something else on, something attractive. So it's, it's leaving sin and it's putting on service, right? It, it's, um, it's moving away from sin and turning out to love, right? You think about like 1 Corinthians 13 and stuff. Paul gives some amazing, epic things, but he said, if we don't have love, we're nothing. And so guys, we have a clear call to action here, and I don't want you to miss it. The clear call to action is right here. The clear call to action is that we would set our minds on things above, on things of Christ. And guys, I think if we're honest, maybe this isn't the place to do it. No, it is. This is the place to be honest. I think if we're honest, we would say that we really are struggling with this right now. Okay? The more I talk to many of you, the, the more I find that we are all in a bit of a fog, a mental fog, right? There's uh, not as much, if we're honest, we look back at last year, we'll see that for a lot of us, a lot less time in the Word, a lot less prayer, a lot less like alertness to the things of God. And maybe that's not you, and praise God if that's not you. But for a lot of us, there is. We have spent, as this text says, we've spent far too much mental energy on the things that are on earth, okay? Because there's a lot of things going on on earth, okay? There's a lot of things. And that's not so much a location thing. It's not that you shouldn't think about anything that happens here. It's not a location thing. Put it this way. What are the things the world's most fixated with? And are you fixated with the same things? That's how you would know. Because it's not about like, it's not a location thing. Like you should only think about things that are up, right? But you should only be thinking or you should be setting your minds on things that Christ is about. What he is doing there, who he is there, and what he's doing in the world. We have to actually take our minds, because our minds don't want to do this. Our minds are like, oh, this is great. It tastes like cookies, right? And you're like, no, you got to come over here and you got to feed here, right? Because what you put the roots of your mind in every day, that's the fruit you're going to get. Root, fruit, root, fruit, fruits, roots. Okay. The more you put your mind into something here is what you get there. And so we absolutely have to, and I think you should make yourself a note, like what habits could you change so that that is happening more and more? Because what your mind dwells on will create the fruit that's here. And guys, we're in a relationship series. Everyone you love has to eat this fruit. Everyone you love is eating what's coming out of here. And what's coming out of here is a direct reflection of what you've been doing here. I just think about that. Think about, think about your kids, think about your spouse, think about your friends, think about your coworkers. Think about non-believers that you're trying to minister to. They're going to eat whatever's here. This is what you have to give them. And it's going to be determined by what's down there. And so I just think about what you're sinking your roots into every day. Think about your entertainment diet. You know, we're thinking about food, right? We're thinking about nutrients. Think about your entertainment diet. Just, I'm not going to, like I said, we're not going back to like, I'm going to give you rules on what movies you should watch. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. You keep your heart. (laughs) It's your heart. Okay. So, but think about your entertainment diet. Think about what that does to the fruit that's coming out. Think about, you know, especially men on your drive home. Think about that talk radio you listen to. That been really good. It been bringing you home, ready to like really love and care for your family. Like I said, it's your heart. You check. It's not my job to tell you what. How about your your choice of news? Is it really getting you spirit filled and really kind of making you love your fellow man and you know really wanting you to share the gospel and stuff like that? Is that what it's doing? If it is, awesome. Let me know which one it is. Email it to me. I'd love that news source. Um, your YouTube habits, men especially. We're all about YouTube, and uh, and so am I. That algorithm has figured out what you like to eat. What's it showing you, right? You can change your algorithm. You know that, right? 
by stop watching certain things, but you can also tell them, I don't like this. You just tap it on there, and it says, why? And you say, it's killing me. And then another one, I don't like this. Why? It's killing me. And then pretty soon it doesn't share those things. It's, it just wants your time. It doesn't care what you're eating, right? Okay? And so, you know, what about your YouTube algorithm? Think about that. That's your feed, okay? Uh, your social media, right? Your Facebook habits. The people you chose to follow, Instagram, Twitter, the people you chose to follow. You chose to follow people that give something out that you're eating because that's this from them. You're eating it. And you just have to go like, is this good for me to eat? It's called a feed, right? Your social media, it's called a feed. You're feeding, okay? That's what it's doing. And so you can decide actually what to eat. You could. You could totally decide. You don't have to be a victim of any of that kind of stuff. And so that scrolling is a way of feeding. And guys, I just think that many of us, we've lost several months of this year being distracted from the things of Christ and really more focused on the things of this world. And I would just tell you, we're not done yet. Okay? We're not done yet. There are going to be many opportunities for you to dwell on the things of this earth in the next couple months. It's your choice, right? And what he's saying here is that we need to do this. We need to think about the hours that we spend with our minds dwelling on the things of this earth. And we have to have a plan. Otherwise, the culture is going to disciple us. If we think about the things the culture thinks about all the time, we're going to feel the way the culture feels about everything. We're going to desire and want the things the culture wants, and we're going to look like them. It works the same way. It's, that's the way humans work. And so that's what we need to do. But let me come at you a different way. That was one motivation. Let me come at you with the biblical motivation that's in this text. Well, I think that was biblical, but that's not in this text. Did you guys notice the way that Paul encourages you to think about the things of Christ, to, to set your minds on the things of heaven? Do you see what his motivation is? Take a look at verses 1 through 4, and I want you to look for the words if, for, and is. Take a look in your your Bible right now. So you're looking for words like if, and for, and is. I'm going to read it to you. Listen to the way he's motivating you. If, then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. In God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. There's actually motivations in that text. There's there's a command, set your mind, right? And then there's motivation. And they all kind of go with one thing. And the whole whole motivation really is, is that God has united you with Christ. Okay? God is united with Christ. God has made you one with Christ. Here's the first one. You are already raised with Christ. And I know this is going to take some imagination for you to feel and see this. You are already raised with Christ. Take a look at verse 1. Notice the tense, too. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What's the tense there on raised? We've been raised. It's already happened, right? You were raised with Christ. Okay, I want you to raise your hand if you're alive. Alive? Okay, come on now. We can all do this one. No, just... Some are resistant. Some don't like hand raising. It's a personality test more than anything. (laughs) She's never coming back. Paul wrote this, guys, to people that were alive on earth at this very moment. Okay, so they're getting this letter. They're alive. They're on earth at this very moment. And Paul tells them that they've been raised with Christ. Okay, so raise your hand if you're alive. Now I want you to keep your hand up if you are currently raised and reigning with Christ in heaven. Okay, if you're a Christian, both are true. You physically live here, 
and yet you are currently, you put them down. That's a personality to test too. Um, is uh, you are, you're living right here. You're right here. And yet you are also, God says, currently raised and reigning with Christ in heaven. You're in both places. Okay, I know that takes some stretch, but that's what union with Christ is about. When you came to faith in Christ, you were united with Christ so that you're currently in both places. You say, like, really? Well, according to God. So, yes, really. Okay, Doug Moo put it this way. Heaven is where you truly are also. Those are seven words that are crazy. Okay, heaven is where you currently are also. You right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, are here and currently raised and reigning with Christ in heaven because you're united with him by the Holy Spirit, that you are connected with Christ in such a way that wherever Christ is, you are, even though you're here. Okay, trippy, I know. Let me ask you this. How does that make you feel? Did you feel full? Felt full, didn't it? That's what he's after, right? He's, he's showing us that we find fullness when we dwell on the things of Christ. And that's what makes communion with Jesus possible, right? Because, you know, you're, commu- you're here and you're communing with Christ there because by the Holy Spirit, you're connected to him. It's not like, you know, two people sending messages from distant lands to each other. It's more like when you're communing with God, that you're, it's messages from your arm to your head. You're connected to him as one body with him by the Holy Spirit. And so you have a union with him, and that's what makes your fellowship with him possible. So sit your mind there. Secondly, your earthly life is ended, and your life is in Christ now. Take a look at uh, Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For, for reason, you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Notice the tense there. You died. It already happened. How many of you have died before? Okay, if you're a Christian and you're united with Christ, you did die already. You say, really? In the way, yes, God says you did. So yes, very much so, really. Okay, you died to your old life. When you became a Christian, you died to your old life. You, in some way that's profound and real, your old life died and you have a new life with Christ and your life is in him now. And you say, well, I can't see that. Well, verse two says, it's hidden. Of course you can't see it. It's hidden right now. Guys, there is a fullness that comes from knowing that your real life and worth are connected to Jesus. They're found in Jesus, not in yourself. Like if you want fullness, which is what we're after, fullness doesn't come through your own achievements and your own experiences. It comes from knowing that your life is not your life. It's Christ's life in you. You say, well, oh, my life doesn't mean anything. Christ's life is in you. Your life is Christ. You can't say my life doesn't mean anything unless you're going to say Christ doesn't mean anything. Christ is your life. You're like, oh, yeah, I have a terrible life. Really? You know, oh, my life is pointless. Seriously? Your life is in Christ. Now, that's hidden right now. And we don't see that, but it's real. Your life is with Christ in heaven. Johann Bengel said this. He said, listen to this. The world knows neither Christ nor Christians. Like, the world doesn't get it, right? The world knows neither Christ nor Christians. And listen to this, and even Christians do not even fully know themselves. Even Christians don't fully know themselves. Like what I just told you, you're like, okay, I think I get it. Maybe I partly believe it. Guys, you don't even know who you are. You don't even know how amazing this is. Like you go around your regular life doing your regular things with Christ's life in you, connected to Jesus reigning in heaven. Like we don't know who we are. It's hidden from us. 
But as we dwell in Christ and we think of the things of Christ, we can, we can believe it and know it more and more. And what's really cool is, okay, it's hidden, right? But there's coming a day when it's going to be revealed. That union, that connection you have with Jesus, there's coming a day when that's going to be revealed. And that's in verse 4, and that's what I'll end on. When Christ, listen to this, who is your life appears. When Christ, who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. You're going to appear with Jesus in glory. How can we be so sure? When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you got united to Jesus. Everything he's ever done, everything he's ever earned is now yours. His life is your life. His death is your death. His resurrection was your resurrection. Like you're united with him in all the events of his life. His ascension, we already saw, is your ascension. Somehow you're also present with him. And his glorious return will be your glorious return. And it's not something you earned. It's something that's Jesus's. And if you belong to Jesus, if you're connected to him by faith in him and trust in him, you're connected to him, then it's yours. And guys, there's just, I don't know. I mean, you can tell me. There's no achievement, nothing you're going to do in this world to achieve that's going to be like, even close to that. Like, yeah, I got the promotion. Yay, awesome. There's nothing better than knowing you're going to appear with Jesus in glory and that your relationship with him right now, which you don't even fully understand how much you have of his life, is going to be obvious then. You're going to appear with him in glory, guys. And no spiritual experience, as wonderful as they are, that God gives us in this world is going to compare to that. You're going to appear with him in glory. Like right now, you, you might even go through times when you kind of doubt your salvation. You're trusting in Jesus. You're a repentant person, but you don't see Jesus' life in you like you'd want to. And you doubt your salvation up and down. And you're like, yeah, you know, when you say you appear with the glory, it's really hard for me to believe that. You're going to see it. You're going to see yourself appearing with Jesus in glory if you trust in him. Do you trust in him? That's what it would take. You know, you hear that good news and you say, I want it. And he's not asking for you to have some incredible experience or do some incredible deed. He's saying trust in him. Guys, imagine what this does to our relationships. You know, if we dwell on these things, if we seek these things, if we set our minds on these things, think of how that changes our relationship with the Lord. Think about how that changes our relationship with everyone else. The Lord's Supper, guys, is a time for us to set our minds on the things of Christ and our union with him. At the Lord's Supper, we look back and we remember the whole story of salvation and then we look around. We look around us, right? And we see that we're members together of one body. And one body here, we also have the rest, one body out there on the live stream. And we look around, you guys that are at home, look around the people that you're with or look around and think about those who are in our church. But at the Lord's Supper, we look back, we remember the whole story of salvation. We look around and we see ourselves together as members of one body. And then we look forward. We look forward to the banquet when Christ is returning. Because these are appetizers. That's why they're so small. Because there is a banquet that we're going to enjoy of the presence of God in the world to come. And then we look up, right? We look up to our ascended Lord Jesus, the one who reigns in heaven. We are currently reigning with him. And we look to him to fulfill his promise to feed us with his body and blood by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. We thank you, O Lord, for the hope of this meal you've given us. That Jesus will return as a triumphant king. That the dead will be raised. And that all people will stand before him in judgment. And we thank you, Father, that we face that day without fear. For you, our judge, have sent Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray, Lord, that our daily lives of service will aim for that moment 
when the Son will present us, his people, to you, Father, and that you will be shown as true and holy and gracious to the entire humanity. And so we pray, Lord, as we take this, that you would feed us with this food. Just as you fed us with the food of your word, we pray that you would feed us with the food from your table. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if that's your hope, guys, I think the gospel is pretty clear there. If that's your hope, we'd ask you to take the Lord's Supper with us. We'll take the bread first and then the cup, and we'll take them together. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of Christ is the bread of heaven sent for us. Let's eat. Father, we're thankful for that. So thankful for that. That that your judgment that we deserve to crush us for our sin fell on him. And we thank you, Jesus, that you willingly gave yourself to be crushed in our place for our sin. We don't know love like that except you. Take, drink, remember and believe that the blood of Christ is the cup of salvation. Let's take it together. Father, we we thank you so much that though we are sinners, and we're sinners in ways we can't even fathom, that we only see a tiny bit, tip of the iceberg, of what would be offensive to you in our lives and what we have done, what we thought, the desires and intentions of our heart. And yet, Lord, we are so thankful that the blood of Jesus washes that all away, that it's gone. And we pray, Lord, for all who are here who are believers in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that they would have their consciences cleansed through faith and trust in your son, Jesus, and through the taking of this cup to remember that it's washed away. What a gift to have a clear conscience. What a gift to not live in guilt. What a gift to know that there's nothing in us that would keep us from your holy presence. We thank you for that. We thank you for the fact that we know that we're going to return in glory. Wow, that's crazy, amazing. Father, we thank you that you've graciously accepted us as living members of your son, Jesus Christ, and that you fed us with this spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. We pray that you'd send us out into the world in peace, grant us strength and courage to love and serve with gladness and singleness of heart. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus and all God's people say, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.